0: Welcome, everyone. Thanks for coming today and digging out just a little earlier. We're excited today to have Dr. Rick Raspy with us as one of the candidates for the Associate Dean of Extension. Um, just a little bit of background as we go. And come on in. You can come in. There's places everywhere. Grab coffee. Um, we are live streaming today, and this is also being recorded, so for those who can't be here, they'll have a time to watch it at another point. And We are taking questions and comments online, so you can either email those to me at k.lodal@unl.edu, at or if you go onto the website that was sent out earlier, it goes directly to that site where you can add comments and questions, and we'll be moderating that. I want to introduce to you Dr. Rick Rasby. Rick is actually a graduate one time of the University of Nebraska and then has a master's and a PhD in repro physiology from Oklahoma State University, did some work there. He's been back at Nebraska in the animal science department since 1986, became full professor in 2000. Um, Just a little bit about Rick. His position currently is 75% extension, 25% research, And I've known Rick a long time, but in reading through some of his resume pieces, there are some things I didn't know and some things that some of you may or may not know. Um, Rick has certainly had a long background in Extension and and lots of honors and awards, Excellence in Team Programming, Award for Excellence in Extension from Nostalgic, uh, the Holland Family Award, the American Society of Animal Science Award, some of his programming pieces around integrated animal systems management, He co-led that action plan team from 95 to 2005, was involved with the beef spire, was involved with the PC cow card, and that was one of the first pieces that really was the microcomputer that actually could track beef animals. Um, National Catamon Satellite Short Course was a part of his work in the mid-90s. He was on the national e-extension team that really started the Beef Cattle Clearinghouse, which paved the way to our beef.unl.edu site. So many pieces around Rick in animal livestock systems and leadership. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you Dr. Rick Raspe.
1: Thank you, Kathleen. Good to be here. Um, look forward to the interview process. Dr. H- or Dean Hibbard gave me kind of a, a broad topic to cover, or title, but it, it left a lot of flexibility, so I appreciate that. And so I'm going to take a, a number of different directions with this presentation. Um, I think after I get done with the presentation, uh, hopefully you kind of get an idea of what makes me tick. And um, if not, you can, you can always ask questions about that. So, so the first slide here is actually what I think what makes Nebraska tick. And, uh, I think about Nebraska and I think about uh, the wealth of uh, people that we have in Nebraska. And I think any, the, the state, the resource that's the greatest is the people that we have there and you know, are here, and, and I've worked a lot with those folks, and they're really good folks to work with, and I've learned a lot from them. I hope I've given them something to, to learn as well. And so I think about people, I think about the people in Nebraska. The other thing that I have up here is, uh, is I have uh, pasture land and cropland. And you think about how important that is to the state of Nebraska, the ag economy. And then you think about what dovetails off of that. You think about cattle and you think about corn. And so I think, you think about what drives Nebraska, agriculture drives Nebraska. You think about what pieces of agriculture drive Nebraska, it's it's cattle and corn. The other thing I think about quite a bit in regards to what makes Nebraska unique and uh, what makes Nebraska tick is, is there's a windmill up there. And I didn't have a picture of a center pivot, okay, but it's water. And you think about how fortunate we are to have the underground aquifer that we have. And, and, and I think about all the things that are tied to the, to the Ogallala aquifer. You think about corn, you think about cattle, you think about the packing industry. And so I, I think those are the kinds of things, at least in my mind, uh, make Nebraska tick. And I think about the person that's in this position, you think about ag programming leader. These are the kinds of things I think uh, that kind of person needs to, needs to think about. So I, I think about what makes Nebraska tick, and now I'm going to kind of tell you what makes Rick Rasby tick. And so, what I'd like to do is, uh, is some background information and then talk a little bit about the future of extension and then relationships and programming. And I'll, I'll attack the backgrounding uh, information. I feel like I'm I'm a criminal, right? I gotta give you some background information. <laughs> I haven't done anything bad yet, I don't think. But uh, so I'll, I'll give uh, background information more from a family perspective, and then uh, from a programming perspective, and and what's uh, what kind of programming I've uh, taken on, and and things that I've learned from that programming. So. I grew up in western Nebraska, west central, well, I should say west central, I'm not in the Panhandle, right, it's not western Nebraska, but it's west central Nebraska, small uh, family uh, livestock crops operation there, Uh, have a number of brothers and sisters. I I spent a lot of my uh, youth working for a a producer, and I learned a lot from that producer. They were pretty integrated in their approach. They had had corn, they had cattle, beef cows, they had... um, they had uh, a feedlot, they fed less than 1,000 head of cows, or uh, beef animals, and then they also ran some stockers up in the sand hills. And I learned a lot from them about how you, how you uh, take care of land and cattle. And the other thing is about how important an integrated operation was. When corn was high, they'd sell corn, not feed as many cattle, they'd sell the cattle, uh, uh, stockers off of grass. When corn was low, usually cattle were high, and so they slid the, uh, the corn into the cattle. And you know, brought the stalkers back in, and uh, and then fed them. So I learned a lot in regards uh, early on about the integration of uh, of different systems within an, uh, 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 an operation. And the other thing is, I'd say I learned a lot about understanding cattle and livestock and crops. Uh, I remember that uh, first time they brought home a 4010. I thought that was the biggest tract I'd ever seen. I thought, wow, this is a cool deal. And then they brought uh, a 25 2510 uh, to have a power shift. They did a lot of hay baling. It was just fun. You, know, you didn't have to stop to, to change the clutch, right? You could just power through or power back down, depending on how thick the windrows were. And so uh, I did not much take to the cropping side of things. And uh, we did a lot of cultivation and, and that kind of thing in the corn, and, and I didn't take too well to that. And so I, was, I, I really enjoyed the livestock side of things. But I, I really learned a lot early on about integration. And it's helped me even today. I learned about, uh, about how you work with people as well in that particular operation. 4-H was pretty much ingrained in the family. We did a lot of things in 4-H. Um, did well in 4-H. I can still remember the extension educator. We called them agents back then. But Harlan Luttrell and Dean Jacobs. And uh, the thing I remember most about them is that um, how much they knew. They knew a lot of stuff when they came on our place. The other thing is how much they cared. And uh, uh, that really stuck with me. Uh, we showed livestock. I remember uh, Harlan always knew where all the sheep were in the county, and and Dad wanted to buy some ewes to clean up around the place, and so he sent Mom with Harlan to buy ewes. And we were supposed to get maybe 25. Came back with 100. <laughs> and so who was going to lamb out the ewes, right? But us, but. Uh, and uh, was on a judging team with, uh, with uh, Harlan and Dean and had the opportunity to come to State Fair and, and did pretty well there and then went on to Kansas City. And I think that was maybe the third time I was out of state of Nebraska. I mm-hmm. uh, went to Kansas City and judged. and Did a lot of local judging and uh, I can remember uh, my sister uh, she just started judging. She was just a little old tight and uh, at that time of course, the seniors gave oral reasons, and the little kids could actually read their reasons, right? And so we had to give reasons on a set of reading uses. And I uh, saw her over there struggling a little bit, and I, I, I think it was even before she was in, in 4-H age, but um, she was struggling over there, and so I went over to help her, and she was writing out her stuff, and she says, I can't figure out what this E-W-E-S is. Phonetically, how do you, how do you sound that out? And so, uh, so she went through, and she had these written down, and so we went through, I went through, and I changed E-W-E-S to Y-O-U-S. And she knew what to say when she got to that part of the reasons. And so that was, kinda, that was kind of a fun deal. So 4-H pretty much ingrained in, uh, in, uh, in our family. We did well, met a lot of good people through 4-H, uh, people that are still friends today uh, I met through 4-H. And so that was a really important part of our family. Education, I uh, went to Mid-Plains Community College, played a little baseball there, uh, then went to the University of Nebraska, actually um, uh, was uh, a pre-vet major, and it was a good thing I didn't get into vet school because I enjoyed what I do now, and then went to Oklahoma State and got a Master's and Ph.D. there. Employment, University of Nebraska. Someone asked me, said, why did I, Why have you never left the University of Nebraska? I said, why would you? I said, I said, here's a town of, what, a quarter of a million people, clean and safe, and has a good school system. And uh, the other thing is, is that it has more beef cows than people, right? And so I'm trained in beef cattle, and I said, you know, it was the epicenter back when I started, and I think it's the epicenter still. And so that's the reason why uh, I haven't left the University of Nebraska. Good place to work, good place to raise a family. So right here, this is the Rasby clan. And uh, right here is mom and dad, and so that's, we call them Dewey and Joe, okay? And so uh, pretty big family, all those brothers and sisters and their kids and their kids as kids, and mom and dad, hard-working, um, humble people, and I think uh, that kind of traits in us. This would be my family right here. Uh, this is Andrea, my daughter. This is Nick and Sarah, and uh, uh, this is Cohen, our grandson. And uh, I told uh, Tam, I says, Early on in extension, you put a lot of miles in. At least I put a lot of miles in. I said, "Man, I says you did a good job of raising two kids." Okay, because I wasn't home October to March about every year. You're you're on the road three or four times times a a week. And so, she's actually a a school teacher. uh, Was a school teacher. Scott uh, taught first grade for 21 years. I don't know how someone can teach first grade for 21 years. I mean, you got to be a, thank God there's people that do that, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's, uh, you're, a, you're a teacher and a mom all at the same time. And so uh, this is the family here, and uh, this is the, the, the clan, and if you did a, some type of uh, uh, progeny diagram, they'd be pretty big and pretty long. So that's, that's me in a nutshell, okay? And, and so the thing that makes me tick is family, and I really take, uh, I don't miss many opportunities to be with family. Okay, now from a programming standpoint, these are the kinds of things that we've done uh, as a, a, in, in my area and either I led the team or co-led the team. And, and I, I would say that most of the programs that I've put on, or at least most of the teams that I've led have been integrated. And I think that's important. Integrated Resource Management Program was a program that was on. actually started when I got here. They had federal money to do the program. They had a research component to that program, which Merlin Nelson was heavily involved with. And they had an extension component that was kind of behind on the deliverables. And they were worried about maybe uh, some future funding or extension on that funding. So, um, so that was what I, was, I came to do. And if there was ever a program that a young, fa- or a young faculty person in extension could be involved with to help them early on, that was the program, okay? I learned a lot. So we had, uh, so deliverables on the extension side of things was production information as well as financial information. I knew how to do the production stuff. I had no idea how to do the financial stuff. As as, uh, Kathleen said, I was trained in nutrition and reproduction. Uh, But they had hired a pretty good young man that had, uh, as a technician, that had uh, an undergraduate degree in ag economics. And so... uh, I remember uh, Dr. Averly says, um, go get it done. And so uh, we headed out, started to collect production information, and and started to to get this deal about how do you get a hold of financial information. In a lot of places that we had nine demonstration herds that we worked with, a lot of the financial information would have been in a box, right? They fill out financial information typically for the IRS. And they don't do a lot of times the other thing. so we had a good time. I think we put on, you know, 1, 12 1300 miles a week there for a while, but we we got it done. And I learned a lot in that program. I learned uh, I learned how to use a uh, uh we had a, a team of uh of folks uh that uh that helped us run the program, producers as well as uh people from ARS as well as uh as well as people from the University of Nebraska. So we had kind of a core team to help lead the group and I learned how to use that group effectively. And I think in this position, you'll have that kind of opportunity. I learned how to ask the right question because you get some kind of uh, team like that put together. And uh, if you don't ask the right questions, it goes a lot of different directions that you don't want it to go. But I learned how to ask the right question there. The other thing is I learned how important an integrated approach to Extension was. And I made a vow after that time. I said, there's going to be very few programs that I'm going to do by myself but there'll be a lot of programs that i'm going to do with other folks and i've teamed up with bruce a lot and, and others uh, to do a lot of extension programming just one one short uh, story there is that we had one producer in that uh, demonstration uh... group that um, called us up in march and said i need you guys to come out this would have been marshall frazier and myself and so we headed that direction. We were already headed in that direction, and uh, it was it was interesting that uh, we got a call for them to c- us to come out because usually we call them and ask them, "Can we come out and collect information?" And uh, they were really good about working with us, but it always took time away from what they were going to do. But they had agreed to be part of that demonstration herd, or, uh group. So we went out there, and uh, he had the the bank was putting a lot of pressure on this producer to pay off a bunch of loans, and he and uh, and he uh, he says I need some help in this area, and uh, so we started digging through the box and and he was he was really um, he didn't know what to do to tell you the truth, but he knew he needed some help, and uh, he was Kevin and all he did was check cows all that day, and we went through the boxes and tried to figure out well what what can we uh, what can we do for him, and uh, so I went out there and I said I said you know he was out there riding on his horse said well I says. Uh, you aren't too, we, we don't think you're in too bad a shape." And he says, it's not what you think. He says, I need, I need help to put together some options so I can stay on the operation. And so um, called up Dick Clark. I know Dick Clark, Aggie Com really good. At that time, George Pfeiffer was in the Aggie Com department, called him up and we, we at least put together a couple of options and, and he did stay on the operation. And What I thought at that time, I said, man, I, I didn't sign up for this. I don't think I signed up for this. But at that point in time, I said, I- I'm pretty good at nutrition and reproduction. I need, to, I need to get better at some other things. I don't have to be the best at those other things, but I need to at least be able to be conversive in those other things. And so that's the reason for the integrated team. Kathleen talked about PC CalCard, um, the first uh, 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 computer program sold by the University of Nebraska. The reason why we called it PC... At, at that time, there were three programs out there. One was a, a program that was really expensive and producers couldn't hardly afford it. The other one was a, a CHAPS program out of uh, North Dakota, and it was a mail-in program. So what producers would do is they would mail their records in, CHAPS people would run it through the system, and they'd mail it out. And then there was, at that time, actually, uh, Dr. Gary Rupp, who was at the M.A.R. I mean, research Center, they were starting on a program uh, called cow Five, and uh, it was really directed more towards veterinarians. And it had a lot of coding and stuff in there, and the producers that looked at it at that time said it was too complicated for them. And so Jim Gosey had put together cowcard, and cowcard was a was a uh, you could you could basically take written records of individual cows, okay? And so what we did is we took that cowcards concept and put it into a computer package called PC cowcard. I think uh, 14 states, uh, uh, I can't remember how many producers uh, had that uh, program, but when we came to look at, we basically wanted to fill a void. And uh, when we got ready to, uh, to look at uh, upgrading that program, uh, we looked around and said, there's already programs out there that we would uh, probably make PC CalCard look a lot alike. And so we said, it's time for us to go on to something else. And so we filled the void for a while. It was a lot of fun. Chet Holly, I don't know if many of you remember Chet Hawley. He was an extension educator in Knuckles County. And uh, Chet did uh, all the beta testing for us. And up and down the road, and I remember Chet used to smoke a lot. and looked like he'd been hung out on a fence post way too long. But he did a heck of a job field testing that, that program for us. Bruce, Quality Feeds for Quality Feeding Program. You and myself and Don Kubik ran around with the NIR, NIR machine. And, uh, uh, you know, before we did that, we talked to the labs and make sure that, uh, you know, we're not going to try to take business away from you. We're going to actually try to get business for you. And we went up and down the road and used, used technolo- new technology in, in the, for- in the uh, feed testing area. National Cattlemen's uh, Satellite Short Course. This was a cooperative effort between Nebraska and South Dakota and uh, the uh, National Cattlemen's Beef Association. So we had uh, uh, 12 to 14 meetings. And I think they were somewhere around uh, in 47 states and two Canadian provinces. So it was well received across the nation. It was, a time, it was at a time when, uh, when the satellite was pretty new technology and when you beamed it up, you didn't know if it was going to be caught coming down, okay? <laughs> and so it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was really kind of fun. Uh, actually, South Dakota did their components of that program live. Uh, the person that we worked with uh, would have been in Mike Cam's position. Uh, that person said, "We will not do ours live. We will be pre-taped, and uh, you just wear the same stuff that you wore when we taped the program for the Q&A session." And the reason why that person didn't want to do it live is, they said, "Well, what? What if you're out on the road, and you don't get back in time to do the program? The program's still going to go on, but uh, I just, uh, I just feel more comfortable doing it live." So work with. Uh, work with NCBA on that. The other one, so, so illustration of working with, uh, with uh, uh, producer groups. Uh, the other one, uh, this would be a program that we put together with Nebraska Cattlemen, it was employee management workshop. Uh, had a Sarah Fogelman and uh, and Bernie Irwin from Ohio State came in and did these programs. And Nebraska Cattlemen uh, said that we need more information on employee management. How do you write a job description? How do you write an evaluation? How do you do an evaluation? Um, how do you actually conduct meetings with employees? And it was well attended and, uh, and really one of those that I would say that we worked closely with the cattlemen organization, heard what they needed, they thought their clientele needed, put together a nice program. And think we did that for a couple years and, uh, and was really uh, well received by the uh, producer groups. Standardized performance analysis, uh, this was a, probably a program that um, we didn't get very many people to buy into the program because they were bought into the ec- uh, the uh, production side of things, but they were not bought into the economic side of things. And so Dick Clark and uh, um, a number of folks from Meadown Research Center basically helped put that program together and uh, it was tying production re- uh, records with financial records and wasn't, well, the ones that came was well received, but the ones that didn't come, we didn't have enough folks there, I'll tell you the truth, employee management. Then the other thing I'd say is that beef.unl.edu, I remember when Dan came, started the deal lab, and uh, there was uh, some funds to to do some things and switch from maybe more of a print media, right, to something else. And uh, I didn't quite understand what that something else was, and we met as a beef group, and, and I remember Jim and Ivan saying, yeah, I, we think we need to go this direction, but we aren't going to lead that effort, and uh, worked with Ron Raber at that time. And um, I always wondered if we were heading in the right direction at that particular time. I think uh, cow-calf producers, maybe 25% of them had a, had a computer, right? And probably less than that had internet connection. And so I remember we had a big, strong section on FAQs. And so I think for about the first year, I was writing the, the question, and I was answering my own questions. But boy, after that, it really, it really heated up. I, you could spend a half a day just answering the FAQs in that particular uh, for beef. Now, Aaron Berger and myself basically are the ones that uh, co-lead that, and Aaron's been really good. E-Extension, uh, Kathleen talked about that, um, uh, led that team, uh, started the beef c- cattle clearinghouse, basically focused on FAQs in that, in that particular, uh, uh, for that particular website. Now actually, uh, Matt Spangler and his group, the feed efficiency group, have taken over the beef component of the extension and worked together with a number of folks from across the state uh, to get, across the nation to get get that done. Then dove into some things about uh, mobile applications and put together uh, uh, apps for body condition scoring and also udder and teat scoring, then uh, calculations, uh, basically looking at how do, you ca- how do you calculate uh, some things like uh, unit cost, or not unit cost of production, but um, how do you derive or at least get at uh, cost of feeds on a nutrient basis? And so that's, that's been the, the direction I go. I would say the thing I would like to have you take home from this that I think will help me in, in if I hired in this position is, is, one, I think I understand extension pretty good. Uh, two, I think it's important to have integrated teams. And, um, and, and I think... I think in support, it's important, I get that same kind of feedback from producers that, that, that we don't want component, we want integrated approaches because our systems are integrated and that's the kind of thing that, that we'd like to, like to have you bring out. Um, and, and so these are the kinds of things that, that and, then, and then the other thing would be is, is you have to take some risk. Uh, I think uh, in regards to excellence, doing good programs over and over is, is, is good. That's one form of excellence. But I think sometimes you got to kind of reach outside the box to get to some excellence. And I think, you know, PC CowCard was one of those things that we kind of dove into and thought, hmm, I, I wonder if this is going to really go, and it did. I think, Dan, in my perspective, doing beef.unl.edu at the time that we did it, I go, man, I'm not sure, I'm not sure this is ever going to take off. And, man, it took off. It's because we had good people behind us. And, and so those kind of things, I think uh, excellence in programming, but also excellence in in how you might go above what your expertise is to meet the needs of the clientele that you serve. Okay. All right, so so I'm going to talk about the future of extension, uh, at least in my opinion. And uh, I think there's an internal component, and I think there's an external component. I think the internal component is that you hire good people and you keep them. I think not only from the specialist standpoint, but also from the educator standpoint. So, to me, the idea is, is I've got some, some, some cartoons up here, and, and so, so hire people that are good in their area, not only at the PhD level, but also at the master's level, and um, and then uh, that they fit the kind of job that you want them to do. But then I also think in Nebraska, because our our clientele, at least in the ag programming area, expect you to understand systems. And so the idea here, this is a beef system, but it could be a crop system as well. So, so be good in what we hire you or what we need, and then at least have a little bit of an idea about a system, okay, have an idea about the system, because that is going to help you to put together integrated programs. So this is, this is Moneyball, right? So Moneyball is, I, I think, it is it? It's not Kevin Costner, it's Penn, isn't it, that's, that's kind of the coach? And he uses this this guru here that's kind of a computer guru, right? And so they basically put together a team, not based on how their release is or how they stand at the plate, but they take it based on some computer records that they have together. And they really, it's really kind of a cool show. And I think that's the kind of thing that I, we don't need to go bargain bin hunting, okay? But, and that's what they did. But but the idea of getting people that are good in the area and then understand uh, a little bit about systems, okay? From a specialist standpoint, I think specialists need to have, as much as we can, have a research appointment, okay? And the reason why I say that is is that I have that, and um, I I think it's good. And the reason is is that uh, you think about a lot of things that producers are thinking about every day. You think about how you might be able to put together a research program that covers maybe a gap that's not being met. When you got a, uh, in most of these, uh, most, at least in our department, you're in charge of a revolving account. And so you've got skin in the game all the time. And I think that makes you a better uh, uh, specialist. So once you get a good specialist hired, the thing I think I would like to have them understand is that they're the first line of support for Extension educators. I, I don't think Extension educators, they need to understand that they aren't out there on an the island by themselves. Is that if they have questions that they can't answer. The, 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 the specialist ought to be able to help them answer the question or at least find the right people to help them answer that question. The other thing is, is that, is that can, are there opportunities for specialists to get extension educators involved with research? Can they be a partner in some of those research projects? And I have, I have a SARA project right now and uh, have a number of educators involved with that. It gives them the opportunity to be an expert or at least maybe fine-tune their skills or be an expert in this area that we're working in. And the other thing is, I think, from a specialist standpoint, um, be, be visionary and understand what educators may need in the form of in-service training. And so, to me, those are the four things. As you think about specialists and what they do, uh, those are the kinds of things that I would like, to, well, I think they need to, be, uh, need to be done, they need to do. Uh, so, educators, the other thing about educators, again, hire the best. Hire the ones that have the most tools in the toolbox. And then, and then bring them along, right, bring them along. Uh, I think sometimes, I think at, at the educator um, level, is that, is that they have, we ask them to make presentations as well. And uh, I could see educator, a young educator, in a meeting Don with a Homer Buell. That'd be pretty intimidating in some regards, and so can we help them hone in on their skills? You know, keep them in their wheelhouse for a while, but then also help them understand some of these uh, these systems and integrated integrate some of those things into uh, into their thought process. And so, hire good people and keep them. Provide training and education to keep the saw sharp. And I think that's uh, that's probably easier done at the specialist level, level. Probably a little bit more difficult to be done at the at the educator level, but. From a special standpoint, we need to look at what opportunities are out there for educators to keep the saw sharp. We need to have relevant research base for programming. One of the reasons why I stayed in Nebraska and has been in Nebraska is that we have a tremendous research base to take programming out to the to the to the clientele that we serve. So to me, the idea here is that if you don't have these three here, it's hard to build relationships, okay? And I think when you think about extension, at least as I think about extension, I think about relationships and how you build relationships with the clientele that you work with, how you build relationships with the commodity groups that you work with. Then you've got to build some trust in there as well. Another thing that I've learned, uh, very early on is that uh, it, relationships that are two-way listening sessions are really good ones in other words uh, we bring information out to, the, out to the clientele but also we listen to what they need and how they might want that delivered and so the idea here is that is that build relationships and engage engage uh, conversation in both directions I, I think the other thing is is uh, I don't know what the white word here is but acknowledge or reward excellence and Dr. Dean Hibbert has put together a a deal about excellence. I talked a little bit about excellence. And I I, I think part of excellence is going beyond your comfort zone sometimes uh, to meet the needs of the clientele that you serve. Value risk-taking to better serve the clients, and I think that's part of excellence. And then the other thing is, is to document impact. And so I think the future of an extension, we need to document impact. We do that right now. I think we do a pretty good job of documenting impact after a meeting. Okay. I'm not sure we do a very good job of uh, documenting impact maybe of a program a uh, year or a year and a half down the road. And so to me that's real documentation of impact is have they made change uh, uh, down the road. I, I struggle with that. I'm not very good at that, but I think a person in this position might be able to at least give some insight in regards to how some of those things might be done. Uh, better than what we're doing now, and I'm not saying we aren't doing a pretty good job now, but I think uh, we, can, we can be better at, at this kind of thing. Alright, future of extension, uh, the external part, listen to the people that we serve. I l- learned early on that you can get a lot of good ideas, and if you listen good enough, you can hone some programs around what they need, and, uh, and at least adapt some programs to, to, to fit what they need to be productive, and also, maybe look at how they might change their enterprise to be more uh, profit, poten- increase profit potential. De- uh, deliver a valued uh, product by a multi pronged approach. And what I mean here is that face to face meetings, we've got a good website to get that kind of thing out. We do webinars, uh, we write uh, NEB guides. Those are the kind of things that I think we need to continue to do. And I think from an external standpoint, um, uh, those are the kinds of things I think our producers, our clientele, still want to uh, uh, want to have. Have a, have a web presence, and I, I don't know, Dan, what that's going to look like down the road. I'm sure it's going to look different than it is right now, but I think the University of Nebraska Extension has a good web presence right now, and so we need to capitalize on that, and I think we do. The tough thing about a web is that how do you measure impact, right? I think that's a challenge, but um, I, I know we have an impact out there because when we put new stuff up on beef.unl.edu, within days it's in some, some trade magazine. So it's hard for me to figure out the impact, but I do know it's being used. And so um, that's part of the multi-pronged approach to, uh, uh, to delivery. And then use social media to complement multi-pronged approach to uh, program delivery. And what I'm thinking here is you don't have to know all the social media kinds of things. In fact, I do some tweeting and... and, um, and uh, what I basically do is tweet back to our, our, our uh, beef.unl website. Okay, here's information that's, in, that's on the beef uh, website and tweet out. And so you, you don't have to know all, but I've seen extension educators um, do a really good job of tweeting and it's part of their extension program. And they do a good job of, of communicating some of those things uh, through a different media and uh, that media would be social media. So I think there's an internal part to Extension, and most of that revolves around people building relationships and have a good research base. The external part is to think about, listen, and then deliver programs that uh, have value to the clientele that we serve. So here's kind of the relationships that I've built in Extension, and uh, I think most people in Extension can relate to this, is that, is that so there are some folks that you know, they just want information, unbiased information, because it's credible, they call you because you have credible information, but that's about all they want. They don't want to engage in any kind of conversation, they just want, what do you think about this? And that's it. I have a number of of clients that call me a couple times a year and basically that's, they just want to, this is what I'm thinking, what do you think? And I'm done. Then there's some folks that want information from a credible source, but also want to engage in some conversation. A lot of times that could be over the phone, and then you see them at a meeting, and uh, I have a number of folks that that, that go this route as well. And the ones that are probably pretty rewarding are the one information, but also want to engage in an in-depth conversation where both parties respectfully challenge each other, okay? And then you arrive at the best solution, and here you have a really cool environment where you have an intense discussion, right? And uh, they challenge some of the research, and uh, you challenge some of their thought processes, and uh, you really have a good conversation, and you arrive at a solution that's best for that particular operation. The challenge for me is is that is that sometimes this is a lot of times this is one on one, right? And how many of those can you develop in extension? Okay, uh, because you still got a. Bigger group of folks that you need to serve. I've tried to develop these kinds of uh, relationships with other specialists within the state and outside of the state. Also, trying to develop these kinds of relationships with the uh, educators that are in, in the beef spire. And so, and I think from uh, this person, a person in this position, uh, I think these are the kinds of ones that you want to build with uh, with commodity groups and that you want to build with department heads and those kinds of things, those kinds of people. But I think this is the one that probably is the most rewarding. But the thing is, is that you got to have all three, I think, at least in extension. All right. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, program planning and uh, what kind of program planning I've been involved with. And I think most specialists and educators can relate to this, is that, is that to me there are three kinds, re- reactive program planning, interactive program planning and then pre-active program planning or scenario planning. And so, um, so here's reactive is that uh, where we're where are we at right now, where do we want to be, and make a plan to get there. And you think about reactive, and I think about sometimes in, in, in drought conditions, right? You said, okay, I'm, I had this happen, I didn't have a plan, now, now I need to put together a plan and this is where I need to get to, okay? Interactive planning, and I, I do some of this. Where we're at right now in the present, uh, where we want to be in the near future—not not by next year, but maybe next week—and then develop a plan to get there. And you know, I get questions in regards to maybe rations and those kinds of things. Here, I here's where I am right now, and I need to be here within a couple days. Okay, and so those are the kind of uh, programs that I would say basically on the spot—that's uh, the day, and that's today, and you need to get there by tomorrow by the end of the week. And then, to me, preactive or program planning scenario, where are we at now? Have a vision of where we want to be in the future, set objectives, and then plan to get there, plan to get where we want to be in the future. And, and this is probably the, the funnest, okay? But it has the most risk involved with it. And so, these are things that, that I think, from a program planning standpoint, to me, I think, uh, as we think about interest groups, and we think about issue teams, I think, Interest groups probably will spend some time in this area. I would hope that issue teams spend a lot of time in this area, where they, they're thinking down the road, they're visionary, and they say, this is where we think things are going, and, and this is the kind of plan we need to, to, to well, this is what we need to do to get there. So I kind of liken that to this car here. So if you're standing still, you can look at the present, right? You can look in the rear view mirror and you look down the road and not have too many things go on, right? Let's not make maybe too many mistakes, but I think about extension is that the car never stands still, right? It's always on the move. And so here's what you got to do. You're moving down the road, and so you got to be looking at, down, make sure you're not speeding like I do most of the time. Uh, how much time can you spend looking in the rearview mirror and still drive down the road, right? You can't spend a lot, but it's important to take a look at the rearview mirror. And then you spend most of the time, I hope, looking down the road and... And uh, if it's a uh, pretty windy road, right, there's some risk involved with it, and you can't look much down, you can't look much in the rearview mirror. But, but I, 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 would, I would think that as we move into this new era of extension that, that Dean Hibbert has laid out, is that I, I would hope that there's a lot of engagement of issue teams in this area of being kind of visionary. And uh, I think we have the right people on those issue teams and the issue team leadership. I think we can get that kind of thing done. You know, producers go through the same kind of planning. I think the good ones do, and I'm not saying that all, all of our producers aren't good ones. But you think about they basically do some planning, right? Reactive planning, interactive planning, and then some of them that are I think um, highly motivated, um, and have the time do some scenario planning as well. Okay. All right. So the idea here is that uh, qualities for success, uh, prepare for opportunities. You think about. I, I know as when I was an undergraduate, I, I always prepared for opportunities. Didn't want to make sure that I didn't prepare when an opportunity came up, I didn't take advantage of it. I think that kind of thing holds true even in, in extension. And that's what I see issue teams doing, preparing for opportunities, okay? Putting together teams uh, and looking down the road and preparing for opportunities to deliver high-valued programs when that time comes. Build relationships, uh, not only build relationships with extension educators and specialists in a number of departments as well as uh, research and extension centers, but also build relationships with the clientele that we serve and the commodity groups. Okay, and and make sure that, that we have our ear to the ground and that we're listening pretty good as we look at opportunities to take programming out to them. And then build functional teams. And um, uh, I said functional teams, I, I think I've been on teams that haven't been very functional, and we've done a lot of programming and a lot, and a lot of planning and a lot of planning, and we just didn't get to the programming part, okay, and delivery part. So I, I would call those teams that just didn't carry out the final step, but build functional teams. And then the other thing would be is to uh, de- develop a plan and deliver a high-quality product that is valued by, by our producers. I think our producers, at least the ones that I work with, expect excellence expect good programs, not because I did that, I hope I did that, but I, the people before me did that, and, and uh, at least the folks that uh, we would serve in the uh, crops and the livestock area, uh, they've been programmed that we're going to take out programs that, have, that are excellent, and they're highly valued, and so those are the kind of things that I think we need to continue to build on, and that's the kind of thing that a person in this position can continue to build on. All right. Well, I, I saw this graph, and uh, and uh, man, I thought the website and the way it was designed—that's just we don't need to do much to it. It's good the way it is. And then you look at this graph here, and you look at the number of folks that are gonna start getting information via some type of mobile device. And uh, at that point in time, Aaron Berger was heavily involved, and Pam Peters involved with our as part of our team, and. Uh, uh, we said we need to go and make sure that the website can be viewed easily in some kind of mobile device. And uh, what's interesting when you take a look at the data here over the last few years is the number of, you can find how they, how they access your information and it's almost more than doubled from 2014 to 2015 the number of folks that access uh, our beef website via mobile device. So, I think he really got to stay tuned into those kinds of things. And technology meets opportunity. And, and uh, I'm not the most techno person. In fact, some of the teams that I've put together in the technology area, um, I was probably the weakest link, okay? But uh, it, was, it was fun to put together a team that had a common vision. And, uh, and you can get a lot of work done when you have folks with a common vision. vision. Uh, even if you're the weak link, okay? It's just a matter of putting together the right folks. And I would say most of the time the, in the technology area, uh, I've had some, a vision of, of what I think needed to be done and then shared that with other folks, and, and the team came together, and, and that's how we accomplished the, the goals and objective. Yeah. So here are things that I think about quite a bit. It's how, do we, how can we help people we serve in Nebraska, do what they do in a more sustain, sustainable and responsible way." Boy, those are sustainable and responsible. I'm not sure I know what the, the definition of sustainable is. It seems like to me it's a continuum. I, I, the idea would be do the right thing all the time. And, and I know there's a number of different, uh, you know, there's an economic component, there's a social component, there's an environmental component. And I think I understand all of them except for the social component very, pretty well. But, but how can we help producers that we serve, you know, do what they do in a more sustainable and responsible way? That does, doesn't say that they, they aren't doing it now, but can we help them to do it better in the future? How does the extension stay relevant in a time of information overload? Um, boy, extensions changed since I started an extension, okay? There's a lot of information out there, and uh, some of that information is not very good and in, in some of it's really good, if you will. And then research dollars, I don't know, Archie, but I, I did this a couple, 80% new discovery, 20% applied. I, I think we've changed a little bit in that regard, but, but I, I think both of these are important, but I think about some of the applied stuff that I think we need to do to remain relevant and take good programming out to the people that we serve. Boy, if you don't have the research base there, it's not going to fly very well out in the country. And so I, I think about that. Uh, quite a bit, and then uh, change in times here, you have a sender, you have a message, and you have a receiver, and have that that going both ways, okay? And to me, the idea is, is when I first started Extension, there wasn't a lot of noise out there, okay? I mean, there really wasn't. You didn't have to penetrate a lot of noise to get your message out to the producer, or the clientele, and, and you sure enough didn't have a lot of noise coming back the other direction, okay? And I think about, I think about how do you get our message out now, with all the noise out there. And um, I think we do a good job, but I just see the noise getting more and more and more. And, and I think the thing that, that's going to separate us from the rest of the folks out there is that, is that we can never, we can never jeopardize unbiased research-based information. And that's where we really need to lean on the researchers to help us continue to act, have that kind of information to take out to the producers that we serve. Another thing I think about is, is how do we connect with young clientele in rural Nebraska so that they don't feel isolated? So I've, I've been in places even this year where you don't have any cell phone connection, right? But it's, it's better connected than their computer in a lot of cases, okay? So to me is that, is that if we're going to build rural America, and I know, you know, Rural Futures uh, group over here is doing this kind of thing, but, but I think we need to keep that in mind. If we're going to get young producers back out there, they, they, they love what they do, if they're in agriculture. But how do we make sure that they stay connected, right? How do they, how can we make sure that they stay connected? And I I think about that quite a bit. Uh, The other thing is, is that we have an aging rural population and and you wonder how that's going to impact the industries that we serve. I mean, will they get bigger? Will there be opportunity for young people to get into, into that, uh, uh, build those kinds of enterprises? And I think uh, for the most part, We've done a pretty good job covering a lot of that, but I'm not sure we've done a good job with young people, uh, independent of the whole population, okay? And so as I think about what it takes to get in to a cow-calf enterprise, what it takes to get into a farming enterprise, boy, that's huge, isn't it? And it's different, I mean, there was challenges back when I first started Extension, but I think the challenges are greater now because of the money involved, right? Because of the money involved. So these are the kinds of things that I think about, um, there's some of those things up there that, uh, that you really don't have a lot of, uh, of say so over and, and it's probably uh, the research dollars, but I think the other ones that, that I think about, I think we can, we can attack those and we have opportunity uh, to do better and get better at, at, at those other things. So I think the things that, uh, as I wrap up here, the things that I've, uh, I think are important that I've discussed uh, in this position. Hire, and retain good people. That's not only at the specialist level, but also at the extension educator level. I gave the idea that extension specialists, I think, need to have a research and extension need to have a research component uh, in their in their job title and the reasons why they need to be the first line of support for educators. Um, how can they get educators involved with 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 research? And then, how do how how do we make sure that we keep the, the the uh, saw sharp for, for educators developing in-service training. Build relationships. I told you about relationships, and I think relationships will be important. Relas- relationship building will be very important in this position. Okay? And I talked about the three, and I talked about the one where we're really engaged, and I hope uh, I can continue that kind of relationship with specialists as well as educators, but also with, uh, with uh, department heads and uh, heads of commodity groups. Uh, help build functional teams. Uh, f- or facilitate building functional teams, facilitate environment for creative programming. Um, we do a pretty good job of that. Can we, do, can we be better at that? Uh, facilitate identifying resources to deliver uh, valued-based uh, information. And what resources do these teams need? I can hopefully help, or the person in this position can hopefully help with that. Uh, what are the hurdles that they have to get over or make sure this person removes all the hurdles that they uh, that these teams might have to jump over to deliver high, uh, highly valued programming. The other thing is, is that expect excellence from me if I'm in this position, but um, excellence from from uh, from the uh, educators as well as specialists. And the other thing would be is that uh, say that risk taking is okay. You know, um, go ahead and get out on the limb a little bit. Uh, you don't have to be out on the limb all the time, but uh, in and calculated risk I think are important because I think that. That's that's one of the components that drives excellence in our uh, in this system. I'm I'm not much on quotes, but these are ones that I that I've that I've, that I've kept and thought about. It says uh, Deming has one. It's not necessary to change. Survival's not mandatory, right? And and uh, I think that's I think that's that's pretty telltale. The other one is that this one here. I have no idea who this person is, but it says it says one's life has value so long as one attributes value to the other to the Life of others. You think about you as a family member. You think about you as a parent or a grandparent. Boy, does that fit pretty good? But you think about extension, right? I think that's what we do. We try to uh, bring value out there. And we try to help them do what they do better, uh, help them fill in some gaps where they may be lacking some information or some technology or some basic understanding. That's how, to me, that really fits extension extremely well. So with that, that's all I have. Questions, comments, would be glad to answer those right now. Let's give a hand to Rick. Thanks.
0: And we're going to start with questions from the room. And you need to ask the question on the microphone so the people who are watching can hear it. Questions?
1: So I don't need to repeat the question, Kathleen? Uh, <clears throat>
2: this is Rick Stoll. Rick. Um, one of your jobs in this position would be to facilitate interdisciplinary multidisciplinary teams, right? Uh as, a, as someone coming in new as a specialist or new as an educator, uh, what kind of advice would you give them? And part two of that is what would you tell them that balance looks like when they've reached that point?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I think the person in this position really has a huge opportunity in that area for new specialists as well as new educators. So to me, the idea is make sure they have good orientation. Make sure that they understand issue teams and interest groups, right? And make sure that they understand that you were hired for a reason. You have a skill set that we wanted. And early on, make sure you you allow them to stay in their wheelhouse, right, as far as that skill set is concerned. And then I I, I think as as you mentor them through the system, you help them figure out where they might fit in that system. The ones that uh, are pretty good, are pretty intuitive, they'll figure it out real quick, but there may be some that need a little bit of help. The other question is how do you find balance? So balance from a work standpoint or balance from work and family? Uh, work standpoint. Team versus yeah, and so I think in Extension we have, uh, we have some of that laid out. I think Dean Hibbert has laid some of that out, you know, you think about and these numbers aren't fast, aren't in concrete, right? But they're at least a starting point. You know, you think about 40-40, right? Interest group, issue team, and then you think about 80-20, right? And so to me, uh, I, think, I think as new, uh, especially educators come in, uh, they may have a challenge figuring out all that out, right? But I think we've kind of laid out the, 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 uh, the platform for which them to help, for which to help them find that kind of balance.
0: Other questions?
2: Thanks. Rick, that integration of research and extension is so critical to delivering impact uh, from from the research that we do, as you indicated, and, and I appreciate your comment about that distribution of of discovery and applied along that spectrum, there's translation too, and I think, um, I think we're close to the right portfolio of, of that spectrum, but always something we need to keep looking at. Given that importance of integration, of, of extension and research and delivering that impact, some of the new, relatively new areas that emerge are partnerships with producers and doing research, whether it's in livestock or, or cropping systems, and then partnerships with companies and, and the private sector. So I'd be interested in your thoughts around how extension fits into making those partnerships effective.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I'm better at answering the one, uh, relationships with research with uh, producers. And uh, the other one, I would say that we wanted to avoid doing that, but I'm not in that camp anymore because I think there's some expertise in that area with companies that uh, we can still come out with unbiased research-based information, but still working with companies. Um, but but the, the, the challenge, I think, with doing some kind of translational research with, uh, with producers, it, it, there are certain ones that are certain types of research that I think we can do that with. Uh, pretty, uh, work with producers to do that. I, th- I think some of the crops kinds of things work pretty well. I know Mary's doing a nice job working with producers on some cover crops establishment and that kind of thing. The challenge to me comes in working with pr- even our SARE grant. Um, we're taking we're taking samples, soil samples and forage samples. Um, but some of the challenges are is is doing replicated research with cattle at producer operations. That, to me, is the challenge. I don't know how you get around that, but I think uh, I, 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 that one's probably a little ways away, because what happens in a lot of situations is that you have your controls and treatments. Next thing you know, everybody's together, right? And so, to me, and, and, so, and you, just, you need to have more than one replica, replicate at those uh, producers, and so I think it's a little bit easier in the crops area, but it becomes a little bit more of a challenge. When you get into the livestock area, you want to do some of the grazing kind of things, and then the other question would be: Is how, how how does ICOC fit into that kind of thing? And we need to explore how that how that fits into into when you use cattle that aren't the university's cattle, but still doing research that may be funded by the university or a grant that comes through the university system.
2: Rick, we uh, have some partnerships uh, with other commodity organizations, for example, the BQA with Nebraska Cattlemen. What are the opportunities you see for increasing the number of partnerships, and what are some of the parameters we ought to use to decide how far we partner with
1: private industry, for example? Yeah. So I I think the thing that, that we do really well is that we provide education. And so how can we partner with other commodity groups for education? And I think we do a pretty good job of that. And you you talked about BQA partnerships. Uh, I, I think about um, maybe because the beef industry is so big and so diverse, I don't know how you, you might, but you might be able to do something like that with, and we're doing it right now in the dairy industry. I think we're doing a really good job with hiring a Kim. Um, And then the other opportunity may actually be in the swine industry. Okay, So I think, it. to to me, it's the educational component that we can partner with them, and I think we do a pretty good job of that. And as I work with commodity groups is that I think that's one of the things that they want to do, and I think it's the people in their membership want to have is more education. And so, you know, uh, Nebraska Cattlemen, uh, we have a uh, uh, Cattlemen's College, and so you take a look at the uh, the makeup of that committee, it, it's a combination of producers as well as, as, uh, as uh, extension and university folks. So I think in the education standpoint, yeah. And we might build a partnership on some of these other things like swine and dairy, and I think we're doing a good job in the dairy side. Yeah, Bob? If you look at the states that surround Nebraska, they've mostly decreased their funding for extension, and we've been maintaining our staffing and funding. Do you see this as an opportunity or a problem for Nebraska <laughs> Extension? Well, well <laughs> that's one reason why we're still here, right, Bob? <laughs> because it's good, and they value Extension. And maybe it doesn't mean that those other folks doesn't, don't value Extension. Um, but here's the thing that I would say is that from an Extension standpoint, I, I look at our first obligation is to the people that we serve in our state. And um, um, I think it's important to serve them. Uh, But when you do a good job of that, your reach gets further, doesn't it? And so the idea is if we do a good job within the state, then our reach will probably go to other states as well. And then it becomes, to me, it becomes how do you allocate time to do that kind of thing, okay? It becomes a time issue because, um, you know, there's times where I know people like yourself could probably be in another state once a week, right? And so uh, I, I think, I think as they decrease their funding for extension, I think it will put more pressure on Nebraska because I think we do a pretty good job and we do pretty good programs and so they'll probably come in and reach to us to a certain extent. But we do some of that already, you know, we have some multi-state programming that goes on and so we need to continue to do that, um, but I think it becomes almost a time management kind of thing and I, and, and I think um, as they decrease their extension uh, funding and personnel in other states will get more pressure to do to do out of state programming yeah.
0: there 's a question online okay do you know your myers Briggs, and if so, would you be willing to share
1: <laughs> <laughs> having a clue <laughs> what do you think i don 't know yeah I, I I probably did take that some time ago, but i 'm not sure i I thought of a lot of questions, Kathleen, but I did not think of that question. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I I appreciate that. I I don't know. I don't know.
2: Rick, with our uh, applicant pool for educator positions, we're seeing a lot more PhDs showing up, and we're hiring a lot more PhDs. So coming back to this question of applied research, should we be rethinking some of those expectations or or the role of educators in conducting and research programming?
1: That's a really good question. And, and uh, at breakfast this morning, uh, Dean Hibbard was telling me about the number of hirees that we have in the PhD area. And you know, it, it tells me that they probably have, they, they're well trained in their area, but instead of being in a lab, they want to be out working with people. And so um, um, I think there's more opportunity now to do, uh, to do that kind of research uh, with educators and producers. Um, but I, I think it depends on the educator. Uh, did, they, did they not take a research track because they wanted to strictly work with people, or did they still want that combination? I, I think as you take a look at the number that uh, Dean Hibbard said we're hired, we have hired that have PhDs, I think that opportunity is a lot different than what it was a number of years ago. So we need to, we need to, figure, out, we need to figure out what their wheelhouse is and, and what they like to do, and, uh, and, and understand that they still have a, an extension component of that. To me, the bigger challenge is, is how do you keep them um, in, not engaged, but how do, you, how do you make sure that someone else doesn't come in and hire the good ones away right away, right? I mean, to me, that's one of the bigger challenges with some of the uh, PhDs that I've seen at Educator. We're pretty competitive salary-wise, I think, but, man, they're, they're, they're pretty good. And I, I worry about someone coming in and stealing them, okay?
2: Building on that question a little bit, How do we train people to do extension? Did you have much uh, training in extension before you took the position? Did I have much? Do many of our faculty have much training? Even the PhDs that are applying for educator positions. We aren't trained very aggressively at all in doing extension type of work uh, in our masters and PhD programs. So how do we build
1: that capacity uh, in the people that we hire? Don't disagree with that comment at all, Bruce. I had no training. You had no training. I don't think many specialists that come in have a lot of training. Um, I mean, you get baptized by fire, right? I mean, and that's the idea. I mean, I, I couldn't have hit a better program to be involved with than the integrated resource management program when I first started. I mean, that was an eye-opener. And, and I was pretty good at reproduction nutrition. But man, some of these other things that, that you need to think about because the producers are thinking you need it. So I, I don't know, but I do know right now that at least there's some um, uh, extension does support some graduate stipends in that area. Um, uh, I, I think it also depends on the graduate student that you're working with. I think early on, um, I, had, I had a graduate student that uh, I, I wanted to be somewhere working with people, and so, uh, that person was on a number of extension programs and did a nice job and kind of, the, the thing that they don't get a feel for is that, is that you basically put them on a program, right, to make a presentation. But they don't, they don't get all the other stuff that you have to do to get the program, right, to, to that point. I think it's tough, Bruce. And I, I think um, when you hire somebody, you hire them and you want them to get with the program right away, right? So I think we might be able to, we, we might rethink how we do that. but um, uh, I think we need to go a little bit further than just the orientation component, yeah. But um, I understand where you're coming from. I, I, I don't know what the remedy is for that, but, but I think there are some, some options out there that we, we, we might be able to take a look at, yeah.
2: So Rick, you mentioned water and a couple mm-hmm. of different uh, uh, perspectives. Uh, I'd like you to talk a little bit about water uh, in Nebraska and uh, what you think Extension's role should be in dealing with these really tough water issues that Nebraska's facing?
1: That's a good question that I've thought about. I, I think we have some pretty good water specialists on staff, and so we need to rely, rely on their, their, um, uh, their knowledge and their research. You know, to me, the, the, here's, the, here's the challenge, is to find the balance between urban water use in the balance between what's used in agriculture, right, and uh, uh, and then the other thing would be is is sustainable and responsible use of that of those waters. And so, um, I would say that at least my perception over the years is that is that we have really become not only from a university standpoint, but also from a from a uh, a producer standpoint that uses water. They've become more and more focused on on. Uh, responsible and sustainable use. Um, I would say early on that not that they were not responsible and re- looking at sustainable use is that maybe some of the th- ways that we did irrigation probably wasn't the most um, efficient use of water. I mean, I how many how many irrigated corn how many people irrigated corn have a lateral and a tube? I mean, I, I've done that, and I'm not sure that that's the most efficient way to do it. But I I, I understand where you're coming from. And to me, that is, that is an extremely important resource for Nebraska. It's one of those things that makes Nebraska tick. Without, really, the first thing I should talk about was water, right? Because I think without water, it's a tough go for a lot of the things that, that, that we do. Now, back to that same, I, I look at some of the things that have been done on the genetic side in, in crops, I mean, they've got, they've got, you know, corn and stuff that doesn't need a lot of water. Uh, they know about how much it needs and when it needs it, so they've basically got those things computerized and they measure water in the soil. So I think those kinds of things are really important and, uh, and, and good to look at and, and need to do. Do, over time, will we change um, the landscape? I mean, will we go into, you know, more sorghum? versus corn and those kinds of things. I don't know, but I look at the genetic change that's been done in agriculture and the strides that they've made in the crops area that relate back to water I think are really we've done a pretty good job there. And I think there's even some more room to go there. But I think we're getting more efficient at at how we use it as well.
0: Any other questions? Well, we'd like to thank Dr. Rasby for sharing his comments. This is kind of the first phase of the next couple of days of the interview process and many of you will be involved for different pieces of that. Please submit your responses on that website. There's a there's a Qualtrics form that you can fill out your ideas around Rick's candidacy. So thank you, Rick, thank good you. luck with the next two days.
1: Thank you, look forward to it.